I'm looking down from the cliffs to the sea below and you can see the waves crashing onto the rocks. We're in Port Isaac, a picturesque and historic fishing village on the northern coast of Cornwall. There are narrow winding streets of whitewashed cottages leading down to the harbour. And looking around, I'm not surprised that filmmakers have often chosen Port Isaac as a setting. Most recently, the TV series Doc Martin's been shot here. But for this edition of Folk on Foot, we're here to meet two members of a singing group who had an unlikely route to stardom. Twenty years ago, a group of friends got together in Port Isaac to sing traditional local songs to raise money for charity. They called themselves the Fisherman's Friends. Not all of them were fishermen, but they all had local roots and were connected to the sea. And that might have been the end of the story had it not been for a music business executive who heard them sing while he was on holiday in the area. He signed them to a record deal and the resulting album sold 150,000 copies and made the top ten. Since then, they've sung for the Queen at her Diamond Jubilee, appeared on the main stage at Glastonbury, and are now the subject of a feature film. Today, I'm going to meet two of the founders of The Fisherman's Friends. John Cleave is a former lifeboatman who runs a gift shop in Port Isaac now, and Billy Hawkins is a potter who's described as a master of all things stringed. We're going for a cliff-top walk, and no doubt there'll be tales of shipwrecks, doubloons, and lovers lost at sea. So we've come down a very steep road into a valley and there's only one house in the valley and I think this is John Cleve's house. So let's go in and see if we can find him. John, good morning. Hello. How are you? Oh, wonderful to meet you. Very nice to meet you as well. And I have to say one thing and I hope you yeah. don't become rude when I say this. No. But the first thing that occurs to me when I see you yes. is that you have a great big moustache. Did you think you bumped into a walrus by mistake? <laughs> And how long have you had the moustache? Well, since I was 25. I had a little moustache then, and I was in the constabulary. I wasn't entirely enjoying it, and I thought, well, how can I bring disrepute on the constabulary and actually not get in trouble for it? And so I grew it. Do you wax the ends? I do wax it. I've not waxed it today. It's a little unkempt, isn't it? You haven't dressed up properly for it. No, not really. I'm sorry. (laughs) John, will you take us to meet Billy? Yeah, of course I will. All right, let's let's head off. Yeah. So this bit of the village is actually uh, very holy ground, if you like. Oh, really? Because before there was anything here, the monks from Ruscarrock, which is not far away, used to come right down here to this little bit to uh, have a summer retreat. And then when Wesley first came, there's the house around the corner called Wesley House, which is where John he Wesley. stayed. Yeah, yeah. He used to come and preach here, didn't he? Yeah, he, he did. Because there's quite a big Methodist tradition here, isn't oh, there? Oh, ma- massive, yeah, which is what, what, what Bill's Pottery is in the other old Methodist chapel. Ah. <laughs> so where are we going? Down this, the winding road here, yeah. past the whitewashed cottages. Funnily enough, this goes right through the centre of the village. It's called Middle Street. We're not very imaginative here. <laughs> but we're bucking the trend at the moment. Actually, some people live in here because mostly they're holiday homes and second homes. Do you get upset about the holiday homes and the second homes? No, it's it's the way it is, isn't it? I mean, the cottages are too small to live in full-time unless you're a single person. But in the past, these would have been fishermen's cottages, Yeah, they they were, yeah. You know, one up, one down with massive families in them. A bit like, you know, the industrial parts of Britain. This was a sort of, I guess, an industrial fishing village. Six, seven or eight kids would live in these little places. Let's wander on down to the quay. 
Well, I think you might sing for us, John, will you? Well, if, you want, to, if you want to ruin a perfectly nice day, I'd be very happy to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I found an old book of sea shanties. I think Mother picked it up at a jumble sale. And there was a song on that called Where Am I To Go Me Johnnies? About a young fledgling sailor on his first voyage on a boat. And it's a question he's asking all the other sailors. Well, what am I going to do now? Where am I to go, me Johnnies? So my version was more about an old sailor who'd just sailed his last voyage and was rather lost and bewildered that he was now pensioned off and a landlubber. And what was he going to do with his life? Where am I to go, me Johnnies? Where am I to go? To me way, hey, hey, hi, roll and go. Where am I to go, me Johnnies? Where am I to go? Me voyage is run, and I'm all done. Where am I to go? I've sailed the seven seas, me Johnny, sailed the seven seas To me way, hey, hey, hi, roll and go Fought with hurricanes, me Johnny's been kissed By gentle breeze To me way, hey, hey, hi, roll and go I crossed the Spanish main, me Johnny's fought the King of Spain to me way, hey, hey, hi, roll and go. Sailed around Good Hope, Cape Horn, and ten times back again. To me way, hey, hey, hi, roll and go. There she is. If you look up here, 1836, this is the old United Methodist Chapel. Four arch windows at the top, four arch windows below, and then a whole other extension that's, there with a sort of porthole in the middle of it. Sunday school. If you went to chapel once a week, you were entitled to go to coffee bar twice. So you had to go along and To get your listen. coffee bar yeah, points. Yeah, to get coffee bar points. <laughs> <laughs> points means prizes. Yeah, it was great. Billy owns the chapel here. It's a pretty big He's affair, not a late preacher, though. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> and he runs a, a cafe in it now, doesn't he, and a pottery? Yeah, he's a great potter, Bill. We'll see if we can find him. Hey, 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 hi, roll and go. Temperate seas be calm, please, That's where we practiced just up there. Up the there on the mezzanine. Yeah, yeah, just you can see all the bottles of beer. Like, yeah, they're empty, aren't they? Well, one or two. Are, yeah. <laughs> Sweet Nancy, I have loved me, Johnny. Sweet Nancy, I have loved. Hello? Way, hey, hey, hi. Is he? Is he in the Scalvin Kleins? So this is an extraordinary cave you've got down here, isn't this it? This is. This is where it all gets done. Is this the kiln? Those are the kilns. My wheel's around the corner here. Right. So what sort of pottery do you make here? I'm limited to my age and how weary I feel, really. <laughs> and, and so it's a very bespoke piece when yeah. you get one. Yeah. Handmade. Yeah. Hand thrown, uh, uh, I suppose. Hand thrown, hand yeah. decorated. I want to ask you and John both about the album that you recorded together because you 
You made an album of songs about this area. Yeah, we did. I know many years ago now, but I guess 15 years ago. Uh, I should think it was, John, yeah. Yeah. Largely, was it you writing the lyrics and Billy writing the music? I was the go to a Sullivan or vice versa. I'm not sure who (laughs) did what for them. But, um, yeah, I would write the lyric based on some old local story or some piece of historical information and uh, sort of think, yeah, that should be in such and such a mood. So I used to scribble that at the top of the bit of paper, Bill, and then... I come round the the next week and and Bill said, oh, look, I've done that with that lyric and uh, it was fantastic it was like a big reveal so um, can we resurrect some of those songs today we can, you think? yeah hopefully and, and we can you show me the places that inspired them sure oh, i'd love to do that there's okay. some interesting places too yeah <laughs> so stitch me in me hammock johnny's float me on the sea do me way hey hey hi roll and go that i may float upon the ocean for all Eternity to me, way, hey, hey, hi, roll and go. Where am I to go, me Johnny's? Where am I to go? To me, way, hey, hey, hi, roll and go. Where am I to go, me Johnny's? Where am I to go? My voyage is run And I'm all done Where am I to go? That was fantastic. Thank you, John. Well, we should say that the setting couldn't be better for a song like that, could it? The tide is out at the moment. Yeah. So there are four or five boats there beached. Yeah. And the rocks are exposed. And actually, that is the Old West Quay. And the Old West Quay was apparently a pre-Tudor construction. The name of the port doesn't have any relevance to the Christian name Isaac. It's the Old Cornish port, Fizak, means corn port. So they were shipping ships... corn out of here, with it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, made a nice discovery a couple of years ago when Mother, who's 90 now, was telling me about Uncle Andy's gold doubloons, dear. Oh, yes. Yes. So Uncle Andy She's had Uncle some Andy gold. Has some gold Who was Uncle Andy? Uncle Andy was my great uncle. And when mum was a little girl, she was adopted. So she was brought up with Uncle Andy, Uncle Andrew, Uncle Bill, Aunt Sue, and Mammy and Daddy Lark in one of those tiny little cottages. Right. And, uh, yeah, it was a big, <laughs> big old lot. And she was, uh, she was the only girl there. And Uncle Andy used to look after her. And uh, he had a lovely gnarled old face. And in the early days of tourism in the 1930s, visitors used to like to take photographs of him. So when he had his photograph taken, he used to charge him half a crown a time and then give it to me mum. This is great. But where did he find the doubloons? As we're looking out there, you can see the boulders there now. Three or four, they're squashed in closely together. As the tide goes back, it's actually quite a pronounced square area with all these rocks are really compressed in together. Uncle Andrew's Gold, I've never shown you his gold doubloons, Bill, have I? Just so happens I've got them in my pocket here. You've actually got <laughs> them, one Yeah, I've got them Yeah, well, Mother said you'd be careful you, with them. You kept these quiet, oh, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Here's Uncle Andy, though. Photograph oh, you've got a photograph of Uncle Andy. There he is, yeah, yeah. So he's got a moustache, yeah. uh, Uncle Andy. He looks a bit like you. Did you copy yeah, the moustache yeah. from him? Uh, well, I might have done. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he looks very yeah. distinctive, doesn't he? He does, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's wearing a peaked <laughs> cap. Yeah. And uh, I could see why and they... A sailor's uniform. Yeah, they'd want to photograph him because he looked like a typical he man did. of the sea, didn't he? He did, yeah. And you've yeah. got a little leather pouch. Yeah. 
It Just looks as though it's seen uh, a lot days. of wear. Seen better days, dear. <laughs> There's an old bit of oiled paper here, which I assume is the original I stuff. You're not going to drop anything valuable into the sand again. Uh, yeah, we <laughs> could disappear forever. Yeah. Is this a piece of eight then? This, no, no, they're not really doubloons because it's unlikely that the Spanish Armada would have got this far around. But they are gold. Gold coins. Two little gold coins. Well wrapped. They're tiny. Sorry. Yeah, they are, yeah, and they're very thin. And they're identical. They're about. You get too close, Matthew. <laughs> they're about. A <laughs> Look at that little fingers of yours. You're like Gollum with the ring. <laughs> it's about the size of the end of my little finger, it is, actually, yeah. isn't it? And, and they're, they're very. Th I mean, look, they're, you feel them. They're very, very thin, thin and uh, a, a kind of coat of arms in the middle, stamped as they would have been, wouldn't they, rather yeah. than engraved? Yes. But I've looked up online, and they're called gold quarter nobles. And he found the two of these together by the old West Quay. So the gold quarter nobles date back to the mid 1300s. Wow. So, so I that's guess the that's time of Edward III? Edward III, yeah. The bubonic plagues and Hundred Years' War. It puts it somewhere in that realm. So there would have been a port here as long ago as that. Called Port Some, kind of, some kind of business going would on. Have, would have dealt, and some unfortunate person dropped as two gold quarter nobles down there by the West Quay. And Uncle Andy found them in the 1930s. He was lucky, wasn't he? Isn't that lovely, though? And they stayed in the family ever since. Yeah, you mother, mother look keeps after them, them carefully. well hidden away. I've got to wrap them up again now, or else I'll get a thick ear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, this, well, this is the fish sellers. Let's have a look what have they got fish, today. Yeah. What's on sale? Uh, pretty much everything you can think of, I should yeah, think. Ling. Cornish scallops. We've got bass, lemon sole, turbot. Halibut. Yeah, yeah. gurnard, smoked kippers, smoked mackerel, cod, plaice. Oh, it smells salmon. fantastic as well. Pretty it's much. a wonderful smell. And over here, they've got the shellfish. That's the shellfish, yeah. Right, so there's crabs that's, and lobster. That's and... Jeremy's place. Morning, Lisa. All right, sweetheart. So did you spend a lot of time in here in your youth? Yeah, I used to make pocket money by making things called skivers, which went into the lobster pots. They were pieces of wood that held the bait in position. You whittle them with a pen knife. And I think I used to get something like sixpence for each skiver. That's I, old sixpence, is it? That's old sixpence. Two and a half P. Two and a half P, yeah, <laughs> for everyone I made. Right. So uh, the more I could make, the better. What did you spend your pocket money on? Probably cigarettes or something like that. <laughs> something I wasn't supposed to have. A lot of your research for these songs seems to have come from a, a diary. Whose yeah. diary was it? It was a man called John Watts Trevan, whose uh, father was a customs agent here in Port Isaac. It's written in 1834. And it's not just a diary, it's actually a scandalous expose of the disgraceful goings on and the dreadful people of Port Isaac <laughs> back in those days. It's not like that now, is it? No, no, well, it just, it just goes, Port Isaac, a small fishing town, but the largest and most thickly inhabited place in his parish. It contains about 140 dwelling houses, inhabited mostly by seafaring people, being as mean, dirty, tumultuous places can well be conceived. Therefore a refuge for all tag, rag and bobtail from all quarters, and without the least control or government, the streets narrow and filthy, as almost to render them impassable in the time of wet weather. That's great. Seems Some very appropriate never since the yes. rain started now exactly. behind us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
go. Yeah, it's a wonderful description, isn't it? It's great. And, and, and did you draw stories from from that book? We pinched a lot of stories from the book, and we pinched a lot from people we knew who used to live here. So you're going to sing a song called "Sweet Made of Madeira." Yeah, it's about another ship, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, another. Did it another by any ship, chance right? go aground? Or, it came or aground or? in here, but it wasn't an entirely sad story. It was uh, from Portugal, from the Azores, and um, it was laden with apples and oranges. Of course, there's an old folk song, which is, uh, From France we do get brandy, from Jamaica comes rum, sweet oranges and apples from Portugal come. And indeed, that's what was on this boat. And so um, when she came in, the locals relieved the captain of his cargo uh, in repayment for repairing the ship. Um, but the nice thing about it was that it was noted by John Trevan in 1834 that this ship had the most beautiful figurehead of any that anyone could ever remember in the village. And so this song that uh, Bill and I wrote is uh, a sort of an imagining of uh, what would have happened if one of the local Port Isaac lads had seen the figurehead and fallen in love with it and the figurehead was actually a copy of the captain's daughter. I watched her come sailing on a westerly gale and dusky lamps lighting her mouth to a flame with fruits of great sweetness dark wines flow to greet us sweet maid of Madeira Safe haven she came I'll never get nearer To the maid of Madeira I'll never embrace her I'll never know how Dear good Lord above Can a boy fall in love with a ship's figurehead Ghost gone from a Captain's grief broken hearted For he ever departed For his daughter's fine features He would long for to see from a sculptor whose duty was to summon her beauty. Walk off from the limb of a sweet orange tree. I'll never get nearer to the maid of Madeira. I'll never embrace her. I'll never know how Dear good Lord above Can a boy fall in love With a ship's figurehead That was carved from above With that figure I'm enraptured my heart bound and captured Oh, sweet maid of Madeira I know 
I never should Take up the notion To sail on the ocean See a beauty for real And not haul out of wood I'll never get nearer To the main of Madeira I'll never embrace her I'll never know how Dear good Lord above Can a boy fall in love With a ship's figurehead That was carved from a bow With a ship's figurehead That was carved from a bow Is there a strong theme of melancholy running through lots of these songs? Because I suppose you know the sea's yeah. a dangerous place, isn't it? It is. Yeah, there's songs of longing and loss. You know, when you read through old documents, you know, people that go away on a voyage and just never come back. That's one of the themes of the whole of first and last, really. Whether it be for commercial reasons that people go away, um, economic reasons, people may emigrate, people may go away on voyages on ships, people may have to go away to war. And first and last, the whole idea was that there's a little piece at the top of Rose Hill in Port Isaac, which is always, always called first and last, because it was the first bit of the village you came to, and the last bit you saw as you left. And uh, some went and came back, and some went and never came back. Shall we climb up there and maybe you could sing us the song there? It's a bit steep, dear. No, Are you I can be do right, it. Bill? I'm feeling strong. Is we, Bill okay? We're get Bill a donkey. Guitar, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go and climb up. We're just turning left here. We're at the lifeboat station. Yeah. I think you used to be a lifeboatman. I was in life when I was a young man. I was in the lifeboat crew. It was uh, challenging. In Did you ever take part in any boat. dramatic rescues? I went out the day after the Fastnet race disaster a few years ago. Well, lots of ships uh, and boats were lost at that yeah, time, they, they, they were. We had three shouts in one day. I think it was about 4-7. It was right at the limit of the capabilities of this little inflatable lifeboat. Because this, this is a, an inflatable lifeboat, yes. but there are pictures here of the old lifeboat. Let's yeah. have a look at those, because that was a much bigger affair, and it looks like here... It's yeah. being dragged through the streets, the narrow streets of Port Isaac. Do you know, my, my shop is actually the original lifeboat house. And uh, they couldn't build a lifeboat house down here by the harbour because it was all cottages, so they had to build it halfway up the main street. And they used to have to lower it down on the end of ropes. You see the gentleman here with the sort of um, overalls and hat on, that is my great Gramfer Oten. It's a huge boat and the, the whole, it looks like the whole village has turned out to drag it yeah. through the streets. Is uh, that they, what they used to do? Yeah, they had to because uh, you wouldn't want a boat weighing several tons plummeting down into your front room where you're, <laughs> you're trying to have high tea. It would be very unpleasant, yeah. But the, the difficult spot for it was... Uh, on the corner where the street dog legs around to the right and uh, you can still see the gouge marks on the wall where the ropes used to burn in. It was, it was quite something. And it's an extraordinary thing that people still do this voluntarily. I think your own son is a lifeboatman George, now, isn't George he? George is a lifeboatman as well, yeah. And um, yeah, the entire crew is made up of local men and ladies, completely voluntary. Do you ever it's worry a, about him going out? No, because like all the others, he's very capable, he's very confident and he would do the right thing, I know that. Right. So we've got Dolphin Street or Rose Hill. Well, no, we ought to go up Rose Hill, really, don't we? 
because uh, it, that's yeah. all in the song, to be honest. You didn't tell me that the guitar was heavy. It, <laughs> I, I sort of implied when that, you said I think. I, when you said I had to carry it up the hill, you didn't tell me how heavy it was. But I'm not moaning. <laughs> I'm not complaining. Breeze block in there, Bill. Busy here today, isn't it? Up there is the smallest street in the world. Really? You can see it yeah. just through there. Smallest in what sense? Narrowest? Yeah. yeah. Lowest? Yeah. Both, I think. Yeah. Temple Bar. But it was renamed by one of the first exponents of tourism here, wasn't it? Ted it's Robinson. Belly Alley. Yeah, he called it. And he was from up north, so he called it an alley. But oh. we don't use the expression here. He uses the expression Oakway. He thought he would but, attract the tourists more if he was yeah, called Squeeze did. Belly Alley. And uh, his nickname locally was Ted Bollocks, because that's what <laughs> <laughs> It's very narrow and very steep, and you wouldn't get a car up here. It's, only, it's pedestrianised. That's where I grew up. In, in, in this there. house? Yeah, that used to be my bedroom up there. Beautifully kept, isn't it? I so mean, I, they've, they've I, looked after it well. Was yeah, it, it like that when you lived in it? Well. No, it wasn't as good as that. It's been nicely um, painted white and pale blue door. From the age of 10, I used to work out I could open my bedroom window when they sent me off to bed, climb down on the roof, scuttle up this roof and come down on the back roof and get out. And go. What did you do when you got out, Bill? Oh, well, I can't... I'd <laughs> rather not go into <laughs> no, that. Oh, really? <laughs> come on, let's, let's keep going up this steep alleyway. I keep saying alleyway now, John. Yeah, you say alleyway. No, no, sorry, past the smuggler's yeah. cot. Up the oakway. Up the oakway, OK. And then through a kind of chicane here where, I don't know about squeeze belly, but um, I wish I'd not eaten so much porridge for breakfast. Uh, now we're under Rose Hill. So this is Rose Hill. This is more like a main thoroughfare where you could actually, <laughs> you could get a horse down here, couldn't you? Yeah. So old Mrs Lobb used to live in there. She made wonderful pasties. Hello, boys. Hello. Right. Two little faces peering over the fence here. First and last. The plaque on the wall, and that's the name of this cottage. That's the name of this cottage, yeah. Because it's the first and the last. It would have been the last cottage you saw leaving Port Isaac. Right. Mother always tells the story of Grandfather Leverton, that's her father, was standing here in a period of leave in the First World War, was standing just here. And looking down on the village and it was like, you know, five in the morning or something, he'd come back and, we said, and somebody came up and said, hello, Mr. Leverton, how are you? And he said, well, it's a funny thing. He said, the village was asleep when I left. And he said, I've come back and the village is still asleep. Ah, what a wonderful image yeah, that is. It is. It's wonderful. So that's what sort of appealed really with that And so you wrote thing. this song about the people who left for the, the First, first World War. That. Yeah. And this is a great spot to sing the song because we're right at the first and last cottage. Right on here. Brave boys, bold boys, in navy dressed. Sad boys, bad boys, to the navy pressed. In irons they clapped us up to serve the king, to turn the capstan round and the shanty sing. Then come the day we must wait for the perfume we earn. Sweet Rose Hill return. 
Come roll up, boys, if you're willing to leave your home and take Michelin to the Salmon Flanders field to Passchendaele where the Duke of Cornwall's boys in a living hell We must away for the perfume we earn. Sweet Rose Hill return, and for yours, for mine, for honeysuckle and thyme. As I present the past, at the first and last, me papers have come in. Don't tell me, mother, I'm away to say, just like me brothers, we all see fair in lads, and fishermen's boys, to fast and freeze to death in the northern convoys. Then come the day. Come the day we must wait for the perfume we earn. We will return, and for yours and mine, for honeysuckle and thyme, as at present the past, at the first and last. For those who return Both near and past Who knew they were safe At the first and last They asked themselves how They stood alone Can a place say hello Welcome home Then come the day We must wait For the perfume we earn Sweet Rose Hill return And for yours for mine And for yours for mine Honeysuckle and thyme at the first and last Wonderful. Thank you very much. I know you've probably told this story many, many mm. times before, but I just want to hear more about the Fisherman's Friends and how it all started and how did it begin? I suppose singing in various choirs and choral mm. groups. I think we decided that what we actually enjoyed doing was being in a pub. And singing shanties and singing just Cornish songs. Just being in a songs. pub, really. But a pub has quite a lot to do with it. <laughs> yeah. And how many were there at the beginning? 
Oh, it's quite an unwieldy group this yeah, in been. the very early days. There was a dozen or so. Yeah, or more than that yeah. sometimes. People just used to turn, we say, oh, who the hell's that? You know? yeah. <laughs> but we eventually boiled it down, didn't we, to, to yeah, ten of us. Yeah, ten of us. Of uh, that ten, nine of us had been to the same school. And did you used to sing on the plat there at the harbour side? Well, we, we, after a few years we did, yeah. Right. We, when so it started we, when in we the got pub. the confidence, yeah, really. We started singing on the plat because we were invited to go and sing in America, in yeah. New England. <laughs> of course, none of us had enough money to get over there. Mm. So we started singing on the plat and collecting for our fare. That did a lot that year, didn't it? It, that, it that did. That gave us a lot did. of confidence. It, it did, because we, we sort of turned out the first night and we didn't have any mics or speakers or anything like that. We just stood there on the town plat at the bottom. And, uh, and what was the reaction? She enjoyed it very much, the lady that listened. <laughs> the one person in the audience. Her dog wasn't keen. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, we did have a little crowd of 20 or 30 by the end. Right. Yeah, and it, got, it started getting bigger and bigger yeah, every it did, week, yeah. didn't it? Yeah, it yeah. sort of got a little life of its own. And then the you years. got spotted. And uh, I've, I've read no, various that, different accounts of how you got spotted. Yeah, it was a few years Was it later. the Radio 2 DJ, Johnny Walker? He, he was, was involved. to do with it later on. Right. Rupert there... Christie, who's now quite a well-known independent music producer, he produced a lot of the music on the first ABBA film, I think. Yeah, Mamma Mia. Is one of the things he did. But he thought, having done a thing with a choir, that he could do the same with The Fisherman's Friends. And Rupert was down on a holiday, and he rang up uh, one Sunday morning said all this and I said well you better come down and meet the boys I don't know what what the reaction will <laughs> well, be exactly yeah they either get eaten alive or you know <laughs> so, so anyway he came down everyone liked Rupert didn't they Bill? And yeah then, he was a nice guy wasn't he and, and, you, and you thought well we'll give it a go did you yeah yeah well, we had nothing to lose we thought there's then, no record well, so then it came do. down to the Johnny Walker connection later because he came down yeah he met Jeremy that we sing with and said to Jeremy, oh, that's an interesting story. Who's your manager? And Jeremy said, manager, what manager? He said, well, agent. He said, well, agent, what, what are you talking about? He said, oh, my God. He said, honestly, you know, naive Cornish boys. He said, you better get yourself sorted out. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll text mine and see if he has any ideas. And so he texted his own manager, who looked at us on YouTube. And push came to shove. Within a fortnight, he came down and met us. And we've got on very... You've got to tell him about his arrival. His arrival. Why, what happened when he came? <laughs> he arrived. <laughs> yeah. He arrived in this big Jaguar. Yeah. Pulled up. We were all sitting outside the slipway in the pub there. Yeah. And this big black car rolled up with a chauffeur. Yeah. With, with leather gl gloves? With gloves on. <laughs> no. <laughs> with very impressed. And we thought, bloody hell, what the hell have we got here? <laughs> and then this big jovial chap got yeah. out the back, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, that's Ian, our manager. Yeah, Ian, yeah. and we've been with him ever since. Yeah, I mean, right. He's a wonderful guy. He's, he's brilliant. Uh, we've never signed a thing with him. Was he the one who brokered the deal he then to get you the down, album? He talked at us for about two hours, didn't he, Bill? And we thought, we were all prepared for an audition, you see. And he said, right, oh, that's lovely. Oh, great, well, I'll see you in a couple of... He said, well, don't you want us to sing? He said, oh, all right, then. He said, so, <laughs> if you so, insist. So we, we were all building up to singing this song, so we sang in one of our shanties, and he said, yeah, lovely, right, bye then. And he came back a fortnight later with three recording deals. And you could so choose we, between we them. Pick, yeah. I mean, they were big, and they were yeah. Universal, yeah. Decca, yeah. Sony. Sony. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, yeah. And, and you recorded at the Abbey Road Studios, where the Beatles used to make uh, their albums, didn't you? A couple of tracks there. But um, the main body of the album we recorded at St. Q Church, just inland, because it's a nice acoustic, yeah. and no seagull action on the roof no. like there would be at this no. church. Here. Yeah. <laughs> so did you think at the time, Billy, this is going to make our fortunes? Oh, Are we going to take God, off? No, 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 no. No, that first year was absolutely extraordinary. 
because within two weeks of bringing the album out, it had gone gold. And we were going up to London every week. And it was just... And it sold 150,000 copies, yeah, didn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah I mean, was... an extraordinary thing oh, for an album ridiculous. made by you guys. Ridiculous. Yeah. Did you get some good parties? Well, well you all sorts of... I mean, the, the, the <laughs> going to sign at Universal was... Well, that was fun. It's a tiny temper, was it? Tiny temper. Is that what he's called? Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. There were a lot of girls in there, and they're all sort of all around tiny temper. And we were in this office signing this thing. And they said, "Would you want to sing a song for us?" So we sang South Australia, and uh, you know, made quite a big noise. And so we were singing this, and. um, all the girls left Tiny Down for and they would have had their noses pressed up against yeah. the window barrel. And <laughs> much to their disappointment, it was us in there. <laughs> they were all stuck yeah. at the window thinking, yeah. what the well, hell's going on there? Who these old blokes? Who yeah. these old farts, yeah. <laughs> so did you really feel that you should give up your day jobs? That you, you No, know? none of us wanted to do that. No, no. We're all pretty much self-employed. We're all doing jobs we love doing. Mm. The thought of actually going on the road and touring day after day is horrendous for me because I've got my family with me my daughters work with me my grandkids are around me and as you see I live in a beautiful place yeah and you've got your pottery and I've got my pottery yeah yeah and and John the same for you yeah absolutely the same I I love what I do I've got like Bill got all my family around me it sounds a bit complacent doesn't it but it sounds fantastic we've got nicely rooted lives here and uh, why rip that up? But there must have been some moments, like when you sang for the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. (laughs) You must have been pinching yourselves a bit, weren't you? No, we were soaking wet. We were soaking wet. Soaking wet and bloody freezing. We don't bear Her Majesty any resentment whatsoever for that. (laughs) She did wave wave at Well, we think it was a wave. Yes, yeah. from the boat, yeah. <laughs> it was certainly a hand That was on the day when she was on the boat going down the river. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, it, it down. Yeah, yeah, it did pour down. Yeah. <laughs> What's been what the best thing that's come out of the success? I think the most emotional thing, certainly, that I've ever done was walking out on the stage at the Albert Hall and the whole place, 5,000 people, mm. standing up and clapping before you sing a song, mm. before you sing a note. And that's just, that does really do your emotions in, you know. That was, to put that in context, that was um, almost 12 months of the day after we lost one of our friends. Well, I was going to ask you about that because you're talking about emotion and that must have been the most tragic and terrible event to hit the group. And it was just an accident that came out of nowhere, wasn't it? Can you tell me what happened? I don't really want to, to dwell on it, Matthew, if you don't mind. Trevor's family still live here you know we're friends with their boys and everything and it's just been de- devastating for them we should say that um, he, was, he, he was killed in a, an accident just before a gig um, along yeah. with the promoter yeah. who'd been promoting your concerts when a, a loading bay gate fell yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that interested me about that was how you recover from something so devastating happening to the group how, how did you kind of decide to react to that and rebuild as a result we of that we had a lot of meetings didn't we mm-hmm. Did a lot of talking. Where you saw in, in Bills, where we practice, we, we, we meet there every Thursday. And we didn't practice, did we? We just met. No, and we just, just sort of talked talk stuff through, really. Just try, really tried to get through the next. Just try and understand it all. Did you think of giving up? I think at that point, yeah, I think we were close to, to, to packing it in. Because we thought, you know, if that's the price you've got to play for this. 
it's, it's never worth it. Mm. We did do other things. I mean, Bill and I did evenings in the Golden Lion called Mare's Tales and Mackerel Scales. And so, you know, out of that, we used to sing these songs that we've got on first and last, yeah. didn't we? And mm. do some readings and encourage other people that were there to get up. You know, someone might have had a diary of their holiday day and read a bit of that. Or And we had all we had sorts of unusual dog, people. A dancing dog, yeah. dancing dog. It was a healing I, thing. I think it was it? a process of healing. Yeah. And it, it was a way of of getting through that period mm. but still producing music mm. which is obviously important to us i think those th sort of things you don't ever you know, you don't get over it it's always there and it's not a day goes by when you don't think about it and you're not reminded of it and you know for the the grief that we felt after that um magnify that thousands of times the family so you know um, but there must be times when you sing songs that he would have featured on yeah and his spirit is with you we wrote mm. the last widow for trevor mm. that that was trevor's song so we're going to head up and out of the village now yeah and is this a path that takes us along the cliffs? Yeah, it does. It's all part of the Cornwall Coastal Path. So we can see it's really, really steep. And then we're going to walk all the way to Port Quinn, which is a couple of miles away. Why do you sit with a woman? Why do you stare out at me? Is it a secret you keep in your heart buried deep of a boy on the bed of the sea? In Port Quinn there's a clouded glass window Paint cracked and paint dusty dry. Behind the old lace is a sad withered face of a woman whose heart long since died. In her eyes she still sees the great tempest Blow fast and furious through the bay She sees the fleet sinking down to the deep Made two dozen widows that day In 1697, the Heron fleet went out from here in most benign weather conditions. Within three hours, a sort of hurricane force storm came in from the northeast and wiped out the entire fishing fleet from here in one day. At that time, Port Quinn was the most populous village in the parish. And 24 ladies were widowed in one day because of it and obviously lost sons as well and fathers and all that sort of thing. But it's a massive tragedy. How cruel the past to the present Could God really mean it this way? For 
if he were kind, sure he'd empty her mind. Feel the sorrow she still feels today. She sees her love deep underwater, pale face unchanged by the years. Boy she left drowned lies in Mo's Island Sound, the last widow still drowning in tears. Why do you sit with a woman? Why do you stare out at me? It's a secret you keep in your heart very deep. All the boy on the bed of the sea. Of a boy on the bed see you're right it's really sad isn't it i mean i don't suppose john and i have sung it more than twice really since since that time happened the amazing thing is they're making a feature film about the fisherman's friends Who's playing you, John? No, no one's going to play me, and no one's going to play Bill. The, the well, you're, you've been written out already. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, they got some lookers in, haven't they? Bill? Yeah. yeah. Well, they've they've casted sort of almost Hollywood TV stars in there, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. people we've seen on TV. James Purefoy. So, yeah. Tuppence Middleton. Yeah. She's not playing you, obviously. David, no. no she's very pretty, she is. Yeah. Um, David Heyman. Dave Jones. Dave Jones. Have they yeah. been filming already? Yeah, they finished filming down here. But we're not actually represented in it as individuals, which no. is actually quite nice. So there's an FFF group, Fake Fisherman's Friends group, which has got four actors plus the guys that play the other Fisherman's Friends all the way through. And are you appearing in it, John? We we appear as extras, don't we, Bill? I think you do. I don't think I do. Do you know what I mean? No. I think oh. you are. Well, we did a pub scene where we were supposedly all in it. Yeah, we? It's incredibly boring doing that. Because <laughs> you're sitting down for hours yeah, to take, like, five seconds of film. There I am, there I am. Oh. <laughs> did you have to teach them to speak uh, with a Cornish accent? Well, there's a thing. You tried? Yeah. It's hard to squeeze 500 years of inbreeding into a month, isn't it, to get an accent like this? But they try very hard. Some are more successful than others. Should I say, is that a kind way of I putting it? I think that's a very kind way of putting it. Yeah. Bill, how do you feel about the, the story being told in a feature film? It's just extraordinary. It, uh, you know, we're a load of old, old farts living in a little Cornish village, and they make a movie about us. Do you reflect so, on why it happens, John? Why, what is it about the spirit that you've created that means that people identify with the story? We just put it down purely to charisma and superb musical and ability. Talent. Yeah, and talent. Yeah, yeah just, just... No, I don't, it, it, we, we don't know. There's I an think, authenticity, surely, about what I you're doing. I think when we sing, there's, it's an engagement. They see a bunch of mates, like they've got all mates, and they see a bunch of mates up on stage, taking their piss, having a good time. And I think, they think, you know, that's really us. We could do that. And sure, they could do that. They'd probably do it better. Yeah, probably <laughs> would, yeah. 
Listen, it's been a joy to meet both of you and to have such a wonderful day in such wonderful surroundings. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Joy for us as well. Thank you. John Cleave and Billy Hawkins of the Fisherman's Friends at Port Isaac. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode of Folk on Foot, please rate and review us so others can find us, and please tell all your friends. If you want to keep up with the latest news, why not sign up for our newsletter at folkonfoot.com. Other episodes in Season 2 feature John Bowden in the Loxley Valley, Seth Lakeman on Dartmoor, Kerry Andrew or You Are Wolf at the Brockwell Lido, Stick in the Wheel on the Road to Epping Forest, and Julie Fowlis on the shores of Loch Ness. And if you haven't caught up with season one yet, what are you waiting for? Six more episodes featuring the young'uns, Kareem Polwart, Sam Lee, Eliza Carthy and family, Steve Knightley and Cara Dillon. All available right now at folkonfoot.com or through your podcast app. Do have a listen.